Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket maintain your relationships with people so you'll look up and then eventually you have a great reputation so just making sure you're working with people and have good rapport with everybody you work with. if you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities in order to qualify the sponsor in order to qualify the market that the property is in then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com my team and i created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into in that fluffy stuff with us today, Isaac Barrow. How you doing, Isaac? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing well and glad to hear that. A little bit about Isaac. He's a general manager of Parrot Property Group. Parrot Property Group is a family-owned business with 80 years of combined real estate and construction experience. They help investors find properties and manage properties in the Indianapolis area. So with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. I started in real estate in late 2015. It wasn't at all my background, but I got started. Just my brother needed somebody to manage a few rentals, and he had at the time only a few rentals. Started managing those, and then it just sort of springboarded into a bunch of other different things like wholesaling and managing at a higher level, managing more properties. Since obviously got my real estate license, so yeah, I've been doing it for about four years. And now I'm doing it full-time now, obviously, and full-time wholesaling, full-time management, brokering. We've launched some partnerships. So, yeah, that's pretty much how it's all sort of come full circle. Okay. So let's talk about Parrot Property Group. So what do you all do exactly? We try to be sort of a one-stop shop. Primarily, our focus is wholesaling. We started really jumping into that after I started, and we try to find houses for investors. We do a lot of marketing for that. So we primarily focus on wholesaling, but we've done management. We've actually done some private lending. We have our own brokerage, so we do some on-market brokering transactions as well. So we try to do a little bit of everything, but anytime people ask what exactly we do, it's, it's always going to be focused around the wholesale off-market. So that's primarily what we focus on and try to hammer down on. And we network with competitors and stuff like that. So just primarily wholesaling, but a lot of management and brokering and stuff like that. 
Tell us about your lead generation system for getting wholesale deals. Well, we try to canvas everything. We have done some stuff on the MLS. I mean, it's a little harder to find a good wholesale price on the market, but we've done some of that. But what we'll also do, obviously, we do a lot of the direct mail marketing that a lot of people do, whether it be postcards, whether it be letters. We've also done you know, email campaigns. We've done social media marketing. We try to do pretty much everything we can to get leads. I would say most people would probably tell you that most of the, the leads come from the postcards and the letters because there's just so much of it. There's really an unlimited amount of direct mail marketing you could do at one time. So direct mail marketing, social media, driving for dollars is definitely something we've done in the past where we'll see for sale by owner sign or sometimes we just meet people. Like there was a time, I think a few years ago, I met this guy in a, a little deli and he told me he wanted to sell his house and we ended up buying it and selling it and doing pretty well on it. So I try to do a little bit of everything, but I think everybody else who does this will probably tell you that the most successful route is either skip tracing or direct mail marketing. Well, let's talk about skip tracing and then we'll go from there. For anyone who's not familiar with skip tracing, what is it and then how do you implement it in your business? Well, skip tracing is basically, for example, you, there are all kinds of databases you can use where if you're looking for somebody who owns a house, let's say you look at a house across the street in a nice area, but the house is dilapidated, nobody lives there, and you want to just find out who owns the house, the best way to go about it, you could just enter all the information you have. It's not that hard to find out who owns a house, but you could just enter all the information you have and some database will spit out a bunch of possible phone numbers, a bunch of possible emails, and then you could just start hitting the phones and calling people. Now, in a lot of cases, it is kind of difficult to find a really reliable batch of data for one person who you don't really know where they are, you don't really know where they live in, if they're even alive. So it's just a good method, and a lot of people don't do it. I think it's picked up in popularity, especially over the last couple of years. But it's basically just a way to cold calling. You can cold call. There are all kinds of databases you can pick out with people who own rentals, people who own stuff free and clear, and you could just call them. And you could have a VA do it. You can have an assistant do it. So it's definitely something we've utilized, especially in the last year or two. What are the best places or where do you hire your VAs? Honestly, we haven't actually done it yet. We're looking into it. We actually haven't had a VA at any point. So we haven't done it. We have hired an assistant before, and she was doing a lot of that for us, and that was her primary role. She would just come in and just make calls, and the list was so long. You could spend a year just calling that list, and a lot of people wouldn't answer. But even if your success rate is low, if you hit once, that's a good deal, and it's obviously just cold calling people. It doesn't cost anywhere near as much as sending out postcards or even doing a driving for dollars. You might think, well, that doesn't cost anything, but it does cost a lot of time and driving around and spending money on gas and all of that. So it's just a very cost-effective way. Now, it is work for sure, but it's a very cost-effective way of finding new leads. Now, you mentioned you had an assistant, so that leads me to believe that you no longer have one. Is that correct? Yes. Why not if it was working? Well, we're just looking for different things. We're probably looking for something a little more full-time. So it was just one of those things where we just weren't getting enough time and, and we want to get somebody more full-time. Okay, so it's not that the responsibilities are 
not being undertaken in the future. It's just different vision for what the person wanted versus what you wanted. Basically, the calling was going well. It's something, honestly, like the whole week she would just be calling people and it seems to be something more people are doing because honestly, I get calls all the time from wholesalers basically saying, hey, I thought you have this house on Main Street or whatever. <laughs> and they'll ask, do you want to sell it? Are you interested in maybe seller financing? And obviously I'll say no because I'm not interested, but it definitely shows me that other people are doing it too. Is that all you say is no and then that's it or is there something else you do? Sometimes I'll ask like how they get my number and they won't really give a great answer. <laughs> They'll sort of say the same thing I'll say, which is we got it from a database. We're just calling people who we saw own houses in Indianapolis. So usually I'll just say, no, I'm not interested or no, I'm an investor too. So I'm not really interested in selling at a wholesale price. So usually I don't really entertain it too much. And I also notice that it's kind of the same three or four people. So they kind of know that I'm not interested anyway. So I think I've been taken off some of those people's lists already. Okay. I was wondering if you had a way to flip that so that you would then partner up with that wholesaler on other deals. Because you mentioned earlier that you network with other wholesalers. Yeah, I should have said that. I also will tell them, oh, hey, you know, I'm a buyer, so put me on your list. Send me any deals you have. I haven't really gotten anything from those particular ones. But yeah, I've definitely done a lot of networking over the last four years with local wholesalers of varying levels of experience. What's a deal you've lost money on? One of the first deals I did, it was this little one-bed double and I would say a pretty marginal suspect area. And I just wanted the deal. I was so convinced that we could make money out. We didn't even pay much and we didn't lose much either, but we paid 14 and I should have just like held strong at 11. But we went up a little bit, and then we sold it for 12. So it's not like we lost a ton of money. Mm -hmm. We still had to pay the broker's fees and all of that, and we had to sit on it for a long time. Not a long, long time, but longer than I thought. I thought it would move pretty quick, but it was just a rookie mistake. I just How long did it take to move? I want to say it took like three and a half months, something like that. So okay. I thought it would go in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks tops. Because it was an area at that time, it was moving pretty good. But it was just not the best part. And it, again, it was a one-bed double. So, what's a, what's you know, a double? Just a duplex. Oh, a duplex. Okay. Yeah. It was one side of a duplex? Well, no. It was a full duplex, but it was a only one bed on – yeah, $14,000? Yep. For a duplex that has a one-bedroom on each of the sides? Yeah, on each side. Huh. Okay. Here, people are always amazed when I tell them <laughs> stuff like that, like what the prices are. But – if you showed it to people around here, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Because <laughs> it's just one-bed doubles just aren't that attractive. The rent's low. The houses are small. The resale value is pretty marginal. Best-case scenario, you fix it up really nice, and then you could sell it house hacker for 60 But that house needed everything. That house probably needed to be gutted, to be honest with you. So we just didn't negotiate that well on that deal, and we learned from that. So that's the one I can think of where we – lost money. I think we've only had two or three where we lost a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks, nothing crazy. So the most you've lost on any deal is about two thousand dollars? Yeah, I think so. It's like one or two that come to mind, but I think even on those we broke even. And those were all really cheap deals. Like we bought a gutted house pretty shortly before that deal for like nine thousand bucks and we sold it for ninety eight hundred bucks and then after broker's fees I think our net was ninety two hundred so we made two hundred bucks. <laughs> But yeah, that double is the one that sort of sticks out as the one that we lost money on. 
any common theme among the handful that you have lost or broke even on? Just wanting the house a little too much, thinking like, oh, this is going to work. I like this house. I think it's worth this. I think the one thing I've learned from those is it's just not about you. It's not about what you would pay for the house if it was in good shape. You have to take a numbers perspective to it and just remove the opinion from it. You have to look at, okay, well, what are houses actually going for? What's a realistic way of looking at it? I liked that house because that double that I mentioned, I liked it because I thought the rent would actually be a little bit higher and I thought the area is coming up. But when you actually looked at the numbers, you would come to the conclusion, even at 11, that's probably pretty topped out for that spot. So just the common theme I would say is I would sometimes see competitors getting in and looking at it. And I would say, well, I want to get it because competitors are offering similar prices than it's probably worth more because that's what they're going to do. They're going to try to sell it. So mm -hmm. just not thinking enough about, okay, well, what are the actual numbers? And that was, like I said, very early on. And I, I've learned from that by now, but I think that was a mistake I made just looking at it too much like speculative and sort of projecting as opposed to looking at the actual hard data at the time as opposed to what I feel the hard data could become. So mm -hmm. just projecting too much. When you look at that hard data, what are the key things that you're looking for and where are you finding them? Well, I'm an agent, so I have access to all kinds of ways to pull comps. So I'll just look at comps and if it's a two bed in good condition, I'll look at two beds in good condition. I try to look at houses that have sold in the last, I would say 360, sometimes 540 days. Cause sometimes you have areas that just aren't moving. And that could mean one of two things that could mean either the area is just low turnover and people buy there and then they don't move. So it's a homeowner area, which is good, but it could also mean that people don't want to buy there. <laughs> so I try to look over the last, year and a half, what's happening, how have prices changed, what are houses that are really dumpy and need a lot of work going for, what are houses that are kind of rental grade going for, and what are houses that are at least close to or at least at homeowner grade, and what are those going for? So I try to look at those things, and then I'll make an evaluation based on that. What's something that you've changed in your process as a business over the last 12 months? I've been doing this now four years. I think I need a lot less in terms of asking people, what's your opinion of this? What's your opinion of that? So I definitely have a lot more confidence now about just the knowledge perspective of things. But in terms of the actual business, I would say before I was running less of the sales side of things, and now I'm running that pretty much by myself. So I'm running more of things now from the day-to-day -day perspective. And my brother's still helping me out with the day-to-day, big-picture strategy type stuff, but I'm doing more of the operational systems and stuff like that. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My advice would probably be to just stay adaptable. Don't get set in your ways and just look at the market and look at what that's telling you. One example I would have of that is in the beginning, like when I started doing this, the whole goal was we're just going to buy rentals. Our goal is to get 50 rentals, 100 rentals, and just go from there. And you'll know, we'll sell off some of them, obviously, but that was the goal. But as prices began to rise, we started doing wholesaling. And then wholesaling took off and has done really well for us. We sort of stepped away from rentals. We still have rentals, but we sold off some of them. And wholesaling has been our focus. So just staying adaptable, I think, has been huge. 
And I guess I can't give two snippets of advice because that would defeat the purpose. But <laughs> why not? <laughs> I mean, let's, do, other... let's do another. One more. Another would be just leverage your relationships with people. I mean, instead of just working with people and doing these one-off type deals, try to have partnerships with people. We have a relationship with a group here where at first we were just selling houses to them here and there. And then as they began to trust us and vice versa, we sort of launched a partnership with them. So just start partnerships and maintain your relationships with people. So you'll look up and then eventually you have a great reputation. So just making sure you're working with people and have good rapport with everybody you work with. We're doing a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at thereifoundation.libson.com. All right, best ever book you've recently read? I recently read a book called Traction, which is just a book about how to make your business really sustainable. I'm forgetting the author, but it's a great book. It was a recommendation because I actually went to a meetup and talked to a guy who has been doing business for 10, 11 years. And every once in a while, I'll just go to him for advice. And he actually had the book at the meeting, so I didn't even have to ask him anything. But I was just asking general business questions because I'm more of a hands-on person. I actually asked him, when you started your business, how long did it take you before you really started delegating things? And he just recommended the book, and he gave me a few nuggets just saying, if your goal is to stay in the business, then stay in the business. But if you want to delegate, do that. And he gave me the book, and I've enjoyed reading it. I haven't read all of it, but I've read most of it. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal I've done... I would probably say that there's a suburban house we bought not too long ago, like three months ago, and we bought it, and our goal was we're going to buy it, we're going to paint it, we're going to put some carpet in it, clean it up a little bit, and sell it, and it sold to a fund within two days, all cash, and it was the easiest deal we've ever done by far, because we painted it and carpet in within two days, and we had to hold the house for a total of 10 days, I think, (laughs) and we made really good money on it, so... That was definitely the best one. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about already? Mistake I've made on a transaction? I had an MLS deal a year ago. I had some lease addendum with a tenant, and I just totally forgot about it until a few days before closing. I didn't even tell the buyer because I didn't even remember. And the lease addendum really said nothing. It was basically just like, oh, well, if the tenant gets a job in another state, he can give notice. And it didn't kill the deal, but it it could have been a huge mistake (laughs) because it could have killed the deal. Like if the buyer wasn't cool with it, like he he would have been totally reasonable to just say, I don't want any part of that. That's the first one that comes to mind. I'm sure there's some other mistakes I've made, but that's the first one I can think of. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? 
You can visit our website, which is parrotpg.com, spelled P-A-R-R-O-T-P-G.com. Or if any of your listeners want to just give me a call and talk, my phone number is 317-204-2900. Isaac, enjoyed our conversation, enjoyed learning about how your position has evolved, how your role in the business has evolved, the challenges on the couple deals that you've lost a little bit of money or broke even, and wanting the house too much on those now, really focusing on looking at the hard data, as well as learning about the success that you've had too and the different lead generation touch points that you have with skip tracing postcards, meeting people at delis and getting deals and all sorts of other things. So, Isaac, thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me on.